Oh, we are drowning in Lower Deck's goodness down here. We're scrubbing Jeffrey tubes and cleaning latrines and taking mysterious items and fluids from the holodeck because we are cadets and incense. Uh, I'm Michael Dismuke. I am a freelance writer for STA. In addition to being a blogger on Continuing Missions, which is the number one fan site for Star Trek Adventures RPG. And of course, we have with us the indubitable Jim Johnson. Hey everybody, Jim Johnson. I'm the uh, project manager and line editor for the Star Trek Adventures RPG, published the, published by Modifius Entertainment. Love these many years. Co-host on this here show with Michael and uh, having a lot of fun. We're right in the middle of our lower decks, uh, uh, kind of page through, as it were, chapter by chapter, talking about the book. Getting ready. Uh, actually, by the time this thing airs, it'll probably already be available for pre-order. But if for some reason we're ahead of the game, then it's imminent, imminent. So uh, go uh, go grab yourself a pre-order. And uh, in short order, you'll be getting, I don't know, where, I'm not sure where I put my print copy. Oh, well, uh, oh. I won't be able to show it off today. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, so uh, looking forward to it. And uh, we've got a great cast of uh, guests tonight. As always, we always try to have uh, uh, more people on the show because it's fun to hear different perspectives and to riff and to talk about all things Star Trek and tonight all things uh, Lower Decks. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I'll just uh, I'll start uh, at the bottom, just work my way around. No particular order here. Uh, Scott, introduce yourself, sir. Hey, I'm Scott Pearson. I'm the uh, canon editor on uh, on Star Trek Adventures. And uh, so I just go through and try to make sure everything lines up as much as possible with six decades of uh, content. Yep. Uh, Scott is a, a invaluable resource. The Anything that uh, my writers don't catch or I don't catch or, uh, or you know, between that, that brain trust, you know, we send it over to Scott and then Scott corrects us on everything that we got wrong or... Uh, adds uh, adds texture to stuff that uh, we weren't maybe thinking about and i love i love scott because sometimes i can say hey scott we need a novel reference for this this and this and sure enough uh, 99 times out of 100 you haven't you, know, you haven't failed to bring up something cool and something interesting that we weren't thinking about and that just adds that extra little layer of uh, easter eggy easter eggy goodness to the manuscripts so always grateful to have you here sir thank you uh al introduce yourself how's it going al spader um freelance writer for Star Trek uh, Adventures role-playing game, uh, GM underscore Admiral on all the social medias. Um, excited to get, get into some species life paths tonight. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah, we'll be, we'll be talking all about uh, Chapter 5 tonight, player options and, and, uh, and uh, tools and weapons. And uh, Aaron, please uh, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Aaron Pollier. I'm a longtime freelance writer for Star Trek Adventures. I'm kind of one of those guys that does the starships, technology, science, all that stuff. Uh, if if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you've probably seen my face a few times. Yep. And uh, uh, Aaron and and Scott are uh, two of the two of the longtime veterans, just like me. We've been around since the core book, uh, even before the core book, doing the playtesting and the the early drafting and uh, getting into the living campaign. And of course, Scott was there very, very early on helping with the uh, development of the, the whole Shackleton uh, till call experience working with Dayton Ward. So uh, got some veterans and then uh, Al and Michael came in right around the pandemic. And uh, so we got a good, uh, good cross section of uh, experience here to talk to you all about lower decks. 
So tonight, uh, we're continuing the series, Lower Decks. We've talked about a bunch of the chapters, and tonight we'll be talking all about Chapter 5, which is Player Options. So this mm -hmm. is uh, two sub-chapters. One of them is New Life Path Options. I know the fans are always eager to get new life paths and new species with which to uh, to play different kinds of characters. And then uh, tools and tools and equipment, tools and weapons, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, lower, lower Decks, uh, you know, is... Uh, I've, I've mentioned it before, but like in 22 minutes of an episode, they managed to pack those episodes full of stuff, right? Just like, like not just plot and character, but just stuff to look at and, and technology and weapons and things. They're just throwing all kinds of stuff at you. And somehow they managed to make it all make sense in uh, in their 22 or 23 minutes or whatever it is. So we, uh, as we were working on the book, we just tried to pack it as full as we could of as much cool stuff as we could, as we could to cram in here. And, uh, and we'll just, we're going to just talk about that tonight. So, uh, I don't know that we have any other particular place to start other than just jumping right into the uh, into the different life paths, I think. So, um, um, Al, I think you uh, you took a chunk of this chapter, as I recall. And uh, Scott, certainly, you know, add any flavor or color you want as we're talking about these different species. Now, some of these are um, species that are um, originated in Lower Decks. So Lower Decks, of course, had an opportunity to create a whole bunch of new uh, uh, stranger world, stranger life forms, and uh, we took a we took a few of those, and then uh, a handful of these are from uh, like legacy series, right? We've got a we've got a uh, an original series species in here, and we've got some next gen species in here. Um, so uh, let's uh, let's just yeah, actually it's, it's all it's all next gen next gen original series or uh, lower decks. So good good cross section here of uh, of species. So why don't we just uh, Al, take it away. Tell, tell us a little bit about the uh, the first one on the list. <laughs> yeah, uh, so I think we have what eight total species eight total. in here. Yeah. Um, I know that Aaron worked on uh, on uh, one of them, and uh, I worked on uh, some of the others. But I really wanted to get some of the uh, new species introduced, at least um, the species that we got enough information about on lower decks, so that we could uh, produce something. Because there are many species in there that you know we just get a few quick hits on so um the first one on the list is the uh the apergosians um if you remember the episode strange energies uh these are um the the mathematicians uh slash uh they almost like like spiritualized numbers uh was the uh the kind of idea that we got about them um and so i thought that would, that would make a really fun um playable species like a mathematician type species that that uh, that's really ingrained in their culture and whatnot um and then of course the lingering effects of these strange energies on the planet how that might change uh the genetics uh of uh a species that is uh that is dwelling there mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the things I like about the Epergosians is uh, they are a species that is uh, not a Federation world member, not not even a protectorate or a, or necessarily in. Well, I guess I guess they might be an ally, but uh, it's just I, I like having them in here because it gives players another option to play a species that's not from the Federation. Right? You can play. You know, maybe maybe the if you want to use them as a player character, they could maybe be sponsored to join the academy. Or maybe they're just, uh, you know, they just happen to be an Epergosian assigned to your ship for whatever reason, whether it's a cultural uh, exchange or, uh, you know, officer transfer, or the officer, uh, I just blanked on the name, the officer transfer program, the uh, the thing. Exchange record. program. Exchange program, thanks. 
Um, any other thoughts about uh, Epigosians, uh, Scott, Aaron? Um, uh, go ahead, Scott. I was just going to say that, yeah, I do like the idea of having non-Federation uh, uh, characters in there because you see that occasionally on the shows that you'll get a guest star who is, you know, assigned for some sort of special mission or something. But for the role-playing game, uh, players could really dive into the idea of what's it like to be a civilian on a starship getting tangled up in, you know, Starfleet stuff. Mm-hmm. I was going to say that it when I watched this episode, it always felt like that they were becoming a protectorate of the Federation, like on their way to becoming a member world. Um, just because, hey, it's Starfleet installing a subspace communications uh, device on their planet. But that doesn't mean that they are Federation yet. And that would be, to me, another interesting role playing possibility of. Here I'm. I'm the first Apergosian to serve on a, on a Starfleet vessel, but our world is still going through the process of becoming a member of the Federation. Like, and then you can try to explore all those steps culturally of what it means to join the Federation. I'm I'm all about those strange energies. We saw what it did to Jack Ransom. So I would love to see an Abrogosian get up on the ship and then maybe, you know, they get close to someone, have a friendship with someone of those residual energies, do something to the other player character. That would be a, a, a lot of ways you could spin, spin those strange energies. Well, one of the talents that they have access to is called residual strange energies. And I'll uh, let people have uh, fun with that concept once they read it, because I think there's lots of really fun, silly things you can do um, with that particular talent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And of course, if, uh, you know, if you're a, if you're a game master in a group and you're, you're running a campaign, maybe not in the lighthearted silly kind of uh, lower decks kind of feel that could have some very practical uses too right you could do all kinds of things with that i guess we'd have to think about actually no i mean i guess the way it's written there there are no no real restrictions if you want to turn a uh well actually no it's a simple object i, I wouldn't call a tricorder or a phaser a simple yeah. object right those are quite a bit more complicated <laughs> but you know if uh you need uh What's uh, I'm just thinking of an engineer, right? Scotty's uh, Scotty's comment about using the right tool for the right job, right? If you need mm -hmm. to turn a wrench into a hammer, boy, you, you, bing, there you go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You're off and running. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, certainly for a lower decks kind of a feel of a campaign, you can do all kinds of all kinds of silly stuff with that. So uh, yeah, good stuff. And, and of course, we started with the uh, the badgy lessons uh, here for each species, which I think, uh, are, are really entertaining and quirky and, and fun that I think people will get a kick out of. Yeah. Just, uh, they're just, uh, they're the little short paragraphs that just add a little context and a little texture to the, uh, to the species write up. And, uh, they're from, uh, they're from Veggie's point of view. So it's uh, just a nice little, a little lower decks kind of touch that we threw in there. So I think, I don't remember if that was Michael or Al who originated that idea. Al. Al put it out. Yeah. Great idea, buddy. Thanks. Uh, really, really good stuff. Um, all right, so that's uh, that, so that covers the first one, uh, the Apergosians, and uh, we'll go right on to the next one. This was a uh, um, uh, a species that was hinted at in the next generation, especially if you were paying attention to the uh, to the deck plans and to the uh, to like the the the. Uh, I mean, it was I don't think it was mentioned maybe more than once on screen. Uh, if 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 the bat Scott, I'll have to lean on you to remember if it was actually mentioned on screen. Uh, but we we had that whole concept on the on the galaxy class ships of cetacean operations, 
where you, the, there's actually dolphins on the, living on the ship. And of course, the ship is gigantically huge. Of course, sure, why not have a dolphin tank in the, in the ship, right? And uh, I remember the old, uh, I don't know where they are, uh, the old uh, uh, Rick Sternbach um, Gaussi class uh, deck plans that were made in the 90s. It was just this gigantic book full of like 16, 17 by 24 fold-out um, deck plans of the Enterprise, deck by deck by deck, I mean, every single deck. And every single quarters and every single you know room on the on the ship was laid out, and in one of those just happened to be a bunch of dolphins. And so, uh, uh, of course, the uh, the cetacean uh, operation officers got their full uh, introduction on lower decks. Uh, those two characters and uh, Matt in Matt and um, uh, uh, Kamalu, right? And uh, they've been in a couple episodes though. I think we saw them again in season three. And so it seemed like a non, you know, a no-brainer to include them in here as a playable species. Um, I've seen. I, I, I apologize. I don't remember their name on Twitter. There's a there's a huge fan of the cetaceans on Twitter, and they, I think they're also an artist. And they've made the they made this uh, um, piece of art of a of a beluga whale in like a EVA suit mm-hmm. with like legs and arms and stuff, just walking around. It's like, of course, of course, it totally makes sense because like, why not have a cetacean mm-hmm. going on an away team? in a suit right so uh, who wants to go on um, go on at length about the uh the citations here aaron did you get a chance to work on this or was it somebody else because uh, i know this is the one species i didn't do uh this was somebody else uh but i might have had like input behind the scenes i don't remember um because i've i've actually done a lot of thinking about how citations would <laughs> in Starfleet. Well, that's what I was going to say. That's so hard to believe because I know uh, Aaron is one of the individuals who introduced in our USS Pioneer game a cetacean that we have on our 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 um, vessel. And so when I saw this, I was just like, oh, Aaron must have written this. But believe it or not, I didn't. Yeah. Like, uh, but a lot of the ideas are very similar to the ones that I put together for Pioneer. So that I mean, great minds think alike, I guess. Uh and this this works really really well. Uh, the only the only difference I think I had for the cetacean uh, stuff that I wrote up was that I actually had um, differences between like humpbacks, uh, bottlenose dolphins, belugas, and things like that since they're all different species. Maybe we could talk about how to adapt these. Yeah. You know, some people may not be able to visualize. Well, how am I going to actually have a dolphin, you know, or a cetacean running around the ship? And maybe Aaron, you can talk about. It does mention it a little bit here under the trait of cetacean. But mm-hmm. for players who are interested in playing a dolphin with some porpoise, um, what are some things we they can do to adapt? No, okay, like a good time, right, Michael? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we can. I can talk about that now if you want me to. Yeah. Um, yeah no. Uh, so in our game, we introduced uh, a, a science officer that is a marine biologist that's named Swifttail of of the Easter Island Pod, um, and she, so she's a she's actually a bottlenose dolphin. Uh, she does not stay in a specific little cetacean ops area. Her room is. Uh, a normal quarters, but it fills up halfway with water whenever she goes in there to go to sleep uh, so she can float around. Otherwise, she actually has cybernetic waldos. So they're like little arms that are actually installed into her nervous system. So that's what she uses to um, manipulate things. But she also wears an anti-gravity harness that actually allows her to float through the ship. And so she'll float through the ship standing up on her tail 
so she doesn't take as much room up as she would if she was like nose to tail, you know, horizontally. And uh, she's incredibly happy and cheerful as most bottlenose dolphins would you would assume to be. She's she's great at spacewalking, and it's it's known that she usually uh, joins her, her two friends that happen to be a exo comp and a horta, and they kind of hang out and save save they save the ship on a couple occasions. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I, I really love the, the idea of the three dimensional thinking um, yeah. talent that is as, as access to them because um, conceptualizing that as a species that typically just traverses in two dimensions like someone that's always got the up down and you know all of that stuff going on it makes a lot of sense that they would have this this conceptual understanding of of space around them um mm -hmm. so i really uh, i enjoyed that talent when i read it and if we match this i think it's with the shackleton expanse isn't it um where it talks about cita cetacean ships mm -hmm. is that shackleton so i mean yeah. if, if people out there want to have fun play a fully cetacean crew that would be an awesome ship to see especially if they maybe are exploring marine planets and maybe that's their special mission um is working with aquatic species i would personally that'd be like the my little pony of star trek to me i would love to see that show oh, yeah that'd be awesome in fact i, I just thinking about some of the great uh, ship write-ups that Aaron has done over the years where uh, you have you've built in the the idea I mean it was already present to some extent but you've really reinforced the idea that certain species and certain polities have their own shipyards and build their own versions of starships right so there, there mm -hmm. might be a you know a, a, a you know an ambassador class that was built entirely by the cetaceans and completely customized from the inside to cater to their needs so like on the outside, it certainly looks like an ambassador class ship or, you know, whatever class ship you have. Mm -hmm. But inside, it's completely different because it's all staffed by uh, cetaceans. And I think that would just be, you're right, Mike, that would just be an amazing campaign to try out something different. And the you know? big bads are um, whale probes. <laughs> yeah, whoever built the whale probes, yeah. <laughs> They're just up against the fleet of whale probes. I, I'm really glad that that uh, lore decks added them and that made it possible for us to add them in because it really does seem like it was a long time coming like uh mm -hmm. mentioned that it was in the blueprints um also i believe there was a diane duane novel back in the day that had a cetacean character mm. so you know and then of course with star trek 4 establishing the uh, intelligence of the whales uh you know in canon uh, it was just seemed like it, it had to come at some point that we just would get full on cetaceans in Starfleet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, uh, Scott, uh, uh, just listening to the conversation, I think this, you, you, you all raise a really good idea too, where if you, if you do link the lower decks book with Shackleton, you'll also see that the species options have really expanded what's possible in Star Trek because you've got your, your Kofuari in, in Shackleton, right? And they are very non, non-humanoid not what you would normally expect to see on screen because like you know even even now cgi isn't there right i mean you could do roger you can do uh you know um uh rocket raccoon in uh in guardians of the galaxy but but like you just can't really do the co ferrari on a consistent basis on screen uh because it's just so different and um i just love that you can expand the star trek setting in the universe to bring in that kind of thing to bring in the the, the cetaceans to bring in I mean, even the exocomps that we'll be talking about shortly here, <laughs> but like you can just like you can just expand your brain and just like do so much more. And like I, I love the idea that you all have a horta 
crew member. I'd love to hear how that's working out because that's that's a great idea. He's, I can't believe scary. we still haven't gotten Horta in the game yet. We've got to fix that. He's scary. He's a scary guy. Dr. Dreg, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, yeah, it's like Dr. Dreg. See, I always pronounce it Dr. Dreg, and he has a little rhythm whenever he slides into the room, you know? Yeah. <laughs> all, 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 he's terrifying because he, uh, well, my, my character's Tellerite, his wife, bakes him cyanide chip cookies, and he loves them because it's different, completely different biology. And uh-huh. so she has to put on like a hazmat suit and cooks these cookies for him, and he loves them, but yeah, he's terrifying. It He'll came up. Through. Yeah, it came up. Scott will probably know, and maybe it, maybe it was an STO, but they even interact differently with the ship. They're not going to go up to an LCARS panel, so they actually sit on a circle that allows them to, you know, manipulate it. Was that actually in like a a novel? Do you remember Scott? Um, I know that I believe it was Peter David that had a Horta character in some of the tie-ins, um, but I can't remember how it interacted with the technology. Yeah. So it's just something fun to think about. So if you have a cetacean, you know, crew member, you may redesign the ship. Sorry. I have this everlasting cough that everyone has now whenever they get a cold. Um, But with a cetacean character, you could redesign the ship. I would love to see, you know, people walking their player characters down a corridor and swimming next to them are the cetacean, uh, you know, uh, officers who are interacting with them on their own type of control panels. That would be just, you know, some beautiful imaginative play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'll just add, uh, if you're a fan of puns, the badgy lesson for, um, these, <laughs> these, uh, characters is, pretty awesome it, it made me laugh out loud like when i read it when when i first got it i was like oh this is perfect <laughs> yeah. and uh, i'll i'll say so i got uh, two things to close out on the citations first of all credit where credit is due uh allison uh cb wrote the citation right up so i want to make sure that allison gets credit for that um and then uh chris webb the uh, graphic designer who laid out the book uh the badgie lesson for the citations was his was his primary writing contribution to the book because uh, uh, we just ended up missing the citations, missing writing a badgie lesson in there for for the, the citations. And while he was in the throes of the uh, of the layout, he said, "Oh, by the way, Jim, it looks like we're missing a badgie lesson for the citation. Uh, what do you want to do?" And I was like, "Well, I, I guess we can throw something together." And he said, "Well, I came up with this," and he threw, you know, he he emailed me like you know the three sentences or whatever. And I'm like, "Great, print it, go, <laughs> throw it in there. No, no notes for me. It's good. Let's do it." I love that pun too, and uh, uh, really appreciated it. So, all right, good stuff. So, citations. That's number two. So we so we got that, and we got that. And now we'll go on to the next one, and this is another uh, next generation uh, one-off. Uh, um, uh, I guess character, and I was not even really a character. It was a it was a thing that happened in an episode, and uh, uh, the episode was you know middling. Not horrible, but but not not the best the best moment they've ever had. But uh, uh, of course, lower decks being lower decks, they took it and ran with it. And uh, the first time we see we see Peanut Hamper, I was like, wow, this is pretty funny. And then boy, they really went some different directions with Peanut Hamper in season three. I was not expecting that episode at all. I'm not going to spoil it, but if you uh, if you're enjoying lower deck, you need to go watch that episode with uh, Peanut Hamper in the in the. So anyway, we got the exopops. Exocomps. Oh, we have clickets first. I think you skipped uh, over one. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I did, didn't I? Yeah. My mm. apologies. I, I I jumped right over the clickets. So yeah, let's talk about clickets. Uh, that's a uh, lower decks unique species uh, originating in lower decks. 
So, uh, Al, tell us a little bit about your uh, clicket experience. Yeah, uh, again, in an in attempt to try to get in some of these species that they're starting to show us in lower decks, I really enjoyed um, <laughs> the facts, uh, the fact that the clickets didn't like to be complimented. Like they took that as like a, a sign of aggression or, you know, a sign of like just that that different perspective on social cueing, I think, is very, very cool. Um mm -hmm to uh to try to role play so uh that's why i tried to get them in here also another insectoid uh species uh is uh it will be fun to have around um i think uh and you know just pretty straightforward um carapace uh and uh pheromones and things like that um i i think i think that they're a fascinating species mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I could actually play this. <laughs> I, I, we at work we had we had a uh, recognition program that launched, and there were some employees who didn't think that they they said just give us our paycheck. We don't really want gratitude. And I learned that there's this whole segment of society that just doesn't work. Like gratitude does nothing for them. So I, I could actually play this and just imitate some coworkers uh, if I had to really role play this. Yeah, I really like the lore that is in here about the the, the relationship between the clickets and the Klingons is just really funny because uh, it's not something you normally see from other species in the in the IT, right? <laughs> it's just like, here's a species that the Klingons were like, oh, we're so sick of you. Just go. Just go away. We don't want to deal with you anymore. Uh, they're exhausting. Yeah. Uh, in credit words, too, Aaron came up with that idea uh, yeah. when I was starting to throw these together. I'm like, where could these clickets have come from? And he's like... Uh, what if they got insulted when the Klingons called them honorable? Yeah. <laughs> and, and that led to so many little uprisings that the Klingons were like, okay, we're done with you. <laughs> just, just get out. And I can see them getting along very well with Tellarites. So, yes. yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah well, one of the things I like about the Clickets is uh, it, it like just the look and feel reminds me of some of the species that, uh, that they dropped into like the, Kind of like the background scenes of Star Trek Three and Star Trek Four, where you have those like Federation Council scenes, and you got these really interesting alien species designs, kind of like on the edges of the screen, kind of. And it's like, oh, what's that one all about? What's that one all about? And uh, and so it just it makes me want to see a game where someone plays a Clicket, someone plays an Osnullus, uh, you know, someone plays just something really different, and and just get that all on a crew on the bridge of a ship. So it's not all just, you know, humans all the time or, or you're like or humans or, or humanoids. Right. Cause like, obviously Star Trek is a, is a much more diverse um, uh, setting than we even see on screen. And uh, I think the novels and the comic books have done a great job of really bringing in more, even more diversity. Like I, I mean, I think about the Titan novels and having a, uh, you know, a, a velociraptor as a, as a doctor, right. I mean, that's just great. That's just like, of course, why not? Why not have a dinosaur? be your chief medical officer. It totally makes sense to me. And uh, having the click is just, you know, adds to that, adds to that extreme diversity that uh, um, they can only do so much with on the, uh, on the show between prosthetics and, you know, strategic uses of CGI. Uh, any other thoughts on the clickets before we move on? Just real quick, their communication pheromones. I, I like that um, if you have antennae, uh, you are you can understand the pheromones a little bit more because they're mm. specifically tuned. So I could see like a clicket in a Zindi insectoid, like mm. communicating back and forth with each other without saying a word. Uh, and I think that that could be a really fun type of uh, scene to have as well. Yeah. In fact, now that now that you mentioned, I, I almost wonder if the uh, 
maybe not Andorians, but maybe uh, Anar could uh, could get in on that action. Yeah. You could have like completely subtle signals and conversations going on on a on a starship or on an away team or something, and the adversaries would have like no idea. Yeah. <laughs> you see the you see the antennas, you know, twitching. Yeah, great mm-hmm. stuff. Lots of lots of possibilities there. So, oh yeah. All right. So now, now my apologies for having what everyone's you. been waiting for. Now we're now we're going to talk about the exocomps and Excellent. all that stuff I said, you know, ten minutes ago. You know, just bring it up again. It was a next gen one shot. Uh, I, I think it was might have been was it Aquiel? Um, I don't remember if it was Aquiel or not. Maybe it was a different episode. Uh, I'm showing my age. I don't remember. Uh, but anyway, so um, yeah, uh, uh, Peanut Hamper kind of opened up the door for the possibilities of a of at least a um, at least a supporting character, potentially a, a major non player character being an exocomp and you know, just in true fashion, we decided, why not? Our game had our game had this first again. We had a little scrapper way before Peanut Hamper. We I know that when he came on screen, we all cheered. We're like, yes! yeah, <laughs> we're all happy that the Exocomp made it onto into Alpha Cannon. <laughs> I appreciate the fact that you let me write this up, Jim. I, I think the first time when I sent um, the uh, outline to you, you you were like, "Is will somebody want to role play an exocomp?" And I'm like, "Yes." Yes, they will. Uh, and here's why. And so I think that this is what people wanted. And um, I think you're going to see a lot of exocomps on ships coming up over the next uh, year or so. I can't wait. I can't wait. And, you know, I, I have to, you don't have to answer this because it's just going to be my own private headcanon. But I, I almost like to think that uh, this, this ex, the exocomp could, could be like a spiritual connection point to, um, to your your and Allison's uh, uh 2d20 world builders game yep and uh with sentient robots because like I, I was reading the play test or the quick start right and i was getting ready to do your uh your one shot and i was like oh this is almost like an exocomp <laughs> in some respects like this sentient you know peanut, peanut hamper is a, a, a you know full-born sentient uh sentient robot so with the ai and all that stuff and totally t- it would totally fit, fit into sentience so uh yeah and and when we were writing this up we had no idea where they were going to go with the peanut hamper character in uh <laughs> season three so um, exocomps get such bad treatment in star trek they really do from the very beginning they've got wow. did they ever show up anywhere else in beta canon any of the novels or comics hmm. great question anyone can remember here no i do not recall them in the novels but i'm i'm way behind in the comics so that's possible but hmm. All right. So that's right. that's exocomps. Play them. They're fun. <laughs> yes. Uh, we squeezed Gorn in next, um, although uh, Gorn has been represented before. But I feel like each time the Gorn is brought up in a new series, there are some slightly different things about them that we see. Um, and so, uh, again, this was written pre Strange New Worlds, but post TOS. Uh, so like um, we basically took what they were doing with the Gorns on screen in um, Lower Decks and tried to adapt that to a species. So if that's kind of uh, the direction you'd uh, like to go. Um, 
I have a theory about that just to make people, you know, be able to make all the shows come together and make sense. I, I, I said Gorn is a huge polity of a variety of different type of lizards and who have the ability to genetically extract from other species and therefore slightly transform. I know that's a little play on aliens, but it's not my fault because Strange New Worlds made them look just like aliens. Totally, you know, Ripley that. So um, the Gorn are an adaptable species. In, in my universe that that will come in many forms and fashion. There's even Dino Gorn, but we won't talk about that. Uh, yeah, and we gave them an ability where they can throw anything and deal damage with it. You know, that was, uh, that was a fun that little thing. I love that That's such a <laughs> um, fun talent. I love it. Yeah, you, you, everything is basically a boulder to them um, that they can throw, which is fun. Um, and uh, we do mention a Gorn wedding in the Badgie lesson, just so that mm -hmm. uh, you're all aware. We had to give a little nod to that two-second scene that they showed in a, in a flashback with Rutherford. Um, yep. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that that'll be a fun new interpretation on the Gorn um, mm -hmm. to check out and try. Mm -hmm. Yep. yep. And we'll just, see what we'll just see what they do with it in Strange New Worlds. I don't know. I, don't, I have no idea where they're going with the Gorn and Strange New World. So we'll just have to deal with that if and when it gets, if and when we get the license and if and when we get to that point, we'll we'll figure it out. But in the meantime, Lower Decks Gorn, they're in the they're yes. in the book. Uh, and you can probably adapt them easily enough for use in the original series too, if you want to play a Gorn character. I think there's uh, some options there. So yeah, have fun with it, right? I can't wait to see Aaron until Aaron writes up the uh, Gorn ships from Strange New Worlds. Those are some bad mama jamas right there. <laughs> Well, patience, patience. We got got to get there first, right? <laughs> anyway, uh, so let's jump on into the uh, the Kalon. Uh, Al, what can you tell us about the Kalon? Uh, so the Kalon are, aren't they're like in the backgrounds of many scenes in Lower Decks. Um, they don't actually have like any lines, really. I don't believe, um, but you see them whenever there's like when you're at a market or things like or on a starbase. Like you see them in the background, and um, they just weren't ever written up as a playable species and i think that their concept was so cool from tng right um the, the idea that basically uh, once you reached 60 years old you voluntarily committed um you know suicide which was it was socially the thing that they did and i think it's a it's uh it raised a lot of discussion back in the day when it first aired um mm -hmm. i think it's even more important now but I think the concept of having a timeline to leave your impression or your legacy on a society or on your family or on, you know, uh, whatever, I think is a really neat concept for a character. Um, and uh, so we decided to uh, to write them up. Um, I think they called it the res the resolution was uh, was what they would do. Mm -hmm. um, and so you know, that might be something that your character is bound by, like your character uh, has until they're 60 to, to finish figuring out this scientific problem that they've been working on. Um, and uh, or maybe it's something that you're rebelling against. Maybe you're like, I'm still going to be good after 60 years old, you know, things like that. Um, I, I think there's just lots of story potential here. Um, if you're a twin, Kalon, do you have to split the difference? <laughs> uh al cannot answer i guess no. no as a father of twins you know like <laughs> um so they're very um 
they have like this this these like black veins on their heads and it's kind of like a like a telepathic sensory organ um so they've got a, a neat little uh talent here where they can sense um you know people using telepathy nearby and things like that mm-hmm. so uh and i think probably my favorite badgie lesson out of all of them uh on uh this bad boy cuz uh, I think it's extremely snarky. And when you look at the timeline where we are, um, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's pointing a finger and being like, <laughs> you know, it's making fun of itself, uh, which I think is, um, which is fun. Yeah. Yeah. And for those of you who uh, who need the reference, uh, the Kalons were introduced in the next gen episode, Half a Life. And uh, the uh, main character in that situation was uh, Timison. Uh, played by the brilliant late uh, David Ogden Steers. So if you need a reference, go watch that episode. It's well worth your time. Yeah. Um, Great Luxana Troy episode too. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, one of my favorites. It's one of my favorite episodes. Yeah. And if I remember right. Their son was being, was, was dying and they needed to, like this guy was trying to rekindle it before, you know, he had to approach um, the resolution. So like, um, it was conceptually really cool, and you know, but philosophically, know. it was a trouble for me because you know his. They were trying to revive something that was coming to an end, and yet he wouldn't allow his life to be rekindled, which I thought was it. Well, maybe, maybe the sun needed to end too. You know, it just left a lot of questions for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I so I, I thought it was really uh, cool to get him in there. Just some very powerful role playing opportunities, I think. Um, playing that species mm-hmm. good stuff all right so that's the kalon for you and now uh going on we uh, we come to we come to my we pay uh, seven, year, seven years ago when we started this game when we worked on this game i never never imagined we would eventually get the pack leads into the game as a playable character species but sure enough you know mike mcmahon thank you for for making the pack that's as big of a part of lower decks as you did, because uh, it just, it, it brought, it, it just added some cohesion to the entirety of Star Trek adventures. I remember writing that sidebar way back in 2016 for the core book. I, I thought it would be really fun to have the pack be one of the first species, the first, one of the first alpha quadrant species to delve into the, into the, uh, into the gamma quadrant and uh, you know, being strong and all that stuff. And that's so why I wrote that sidebar and didn't know where it would happen with it, but kept touching on them. And then other writers continued the uh, the theme, and then sure enough, the Packlets turned out to be a big, uh, a, the big bad, as it were, in the first season of uh, of Lower Decks, and they continued that that theme in season two. And uh, sure enough, here we are. It's like, of course, why not have a Packlet player character? Sure, let's make it happen. Well, <laughs> so uh, I mean, the Packlets, they're they're a ridiculous concept it fits a lot better into lower decks than it did into a a live action serious uh, show mm-hmm. well but we explained all that so, so we this book of course is the one source where we explain the packlid's long game so people need to, if they really want to know what's up this is this was got approved by mike mcmahon I mispronounced the last name, McMahon, Mike McMahon. So, so since it got approved, you know, everybody twinkle in your eye, watch out for packlets. 
<laughs> I, I tried really hard to not like use the word dumb or stupid when it came to packlets. I used um, stubborn and diligent, I think was, was a much better way to describe them. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so like conceptually, like if the, if the packlids are trying something over and over and over again, and eventually it works when it finally does work, like that, that is mm-hmm. probably going to be a scary proposition for all involved, including the packlids mm-hmm. themselves, you know, like, um, so, uh, yeah, I think that, uh, it's a fun, uh, species and, um, you know, Make it go is well, one of the tasks. <laughs> yeah, I want to remind people at the beginning of the chapter too, Al wrote a little piece about mixed heritage characters. So you could have somebody who's half packlet, half human, and therefore they're Pac-Man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't even consider that. I mean, I, like, I know it's possible, but like a, a mixed species packlet and something else, it's like, oh my gosh, there are so many possibilities there. And then, and then, yeah. you know, maybe just some ideas that you don't necessarily want to think about how we got there. But uh, sure, <laughs> why not? Absolutely, it's it's possible. Anything is possible in Star Trek. And half they're and half Klingon, half Romulan. I don't know. Like and the anything. and the perfect value for for a half packlet, half human is hold my beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, great stuff. And, and you know, for those of you who uh, who are who like me, you know, have a have a, a weird obsession with packlids, this is the book for you because we've got non-player Ooh. characters, we've got a bunch of starships, we got the we got the character species right up, and then there's even some details about uh, how to run a lower decks campaign from the packlid perspective. So there was that one episode uh, where it showed the lower decks experience on a bunch of different ships. You know, Vulcan, Borg, Klingon. Uh, pack led, you know, why not play a lower decks uh, mm-hmm. from the pack led point of view? Do something different with your group and uh, and and really have some fun with it. Uh, you heard it here first, folks. And Jim Johnson, all of your pack led inspired swag. <laughs> <laughs> Big hats. Right. Big hats. Yep. I don't have my hat. It's over there. I'm not going to wear it tonight. But uh, yeah. All right. And then uh, are we at the, uh, we're almost at the end here, right? That was we're, at our, we're at our last one. So that was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah, last one. And, uh, you know, true to form, this is another, uh, oh boy, this is another standout uh, next gen uh, species. This was such a good episode. I, like, season five, season five, next generation was just was just killing it. They, it was yep. so good. Uh, like they had um, so much going on in that, in that season. Or wait, was it season four or season five? No, this was shit. I can't remember now. Anyway. Uh, uh, Darmok, a uh, great episode. Uh, Captain Dathan, uh, played by Paul Winfield uh, with uh, Picard. Great, great one two uh, combination of uh, powerhouse actors doing their thing, fighting a, fighting a, you know, a, a, a monster. And um, the Tamarians, such a great, like, like in that one episode, there was so much world building for this species in just the, the handful of scenes they had with the, the little, um, the fact that they spoke in metaphors, but then they had that whole thing, the whole ceremonial thing with the, with the with the knife and everything else going on, so it was just really cool world building in there, and uh, and of course we had um um oh boy I just drew a blank on the uh, Kayshawn, right the uh, yes. the security officer yeah uh, so um made they made him a key character in se- second season it's like well there we go Tamarians mm-hmm. check that box we're adding them to the to the mix here so uh, who wants to go a little bit into more detail on the Tamarians. I mean, from a design perspective, we've got 
earlier in the book some of the um Tamarian uh sayings and yep. um things that you could use if you decided to take this uh species um you know and try them out uh of course we know that the universal translator is starting to catch up to the language. It doesn't always, um, which could provide some pretty fun role play moments as well when you're interacting with others. Um, and I, I really tried to build upon their like view of history um, and the idea of, uh, of having your own history become mythology, um, I think is a really cool concept. Um, and of course, being able to, uh, tell the stories of their past is also a way of passing on knowledge to the future. So that's kind of where I was going with the concept here. And I thought that like, uh, it really blended well, um, with, uh, with the characters and, and the species in general, at least from what we've seen on screen. I just can't wait to see role-playing groups actually have someone on their team, play a Tamarian and be like, Oh, I'm in the sewers, Jose, with the bathroom door open, you know, something like that. I could just see people really taking this to some hilarity. Scott, were there any uh, Tamarians in any books? Because I don't recall in my research finding any. Uh, or Scott, the pressure we put on him. <laughs> I don't recall any. He's here. I don't recall any main characters. There were probably some references because I think it's fair to say that Darmok is a fan favorite episode and character, and you know, and uh, because it is such a fascinating uh, cultural concept, uh, and uh, it's another thing that it really is fun to see um, lower decks uh, take advantage of that. And it'd be great to see him turn up in more uh, live action things too, because it really is, um, there's still a lot more opportunity to dig into their history and backstory. And 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 it's, um, you know, so much of what can be fascinating about Star Trek or science fiction is how do you communicate with all these races that you meet? And you usually come up with some sort of, you know, semi-magical, thing like the universal translator so you can just leap over that problem mm -hmm. and so to come up with something like this that challenges that technology uh it was just great world building as as jim said and um and then also it's obviously something that really lends itself to comedic purposes mm -hmm. because of just how strange it can be trying to uh interact with someone who speaks like that. And so I, I really enjoyed what they've done on uh, Lower Decks with that character. Yeah, and the one thing that they didn't develop a lot on screen was how, like what their military, like you got a few shots of what the inside of a ship looks like and that's about it. Um, like you don't really get how their military functions all together, which I think is is still a question that can be answered uh, in your campaign if you this if you have a main character um, that is a Tamarian. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I don't I, I don't remember which book now we've talked about it in, but somewhere along the way we talked about how when you're when you're building a um, when you're building a campaign and you want to really dig into a character, you know, take some species like this and make them your own, you know, and do that world building and 
and like Edger, like the Ephrosians and the Temerians and um, I guess even the Tellrites to some extent just haven't had a lot of world building built around them. And it's an opportunity for for a creative player and game master to like, to like grab something familiar. Like you know, Scott said this is a this is a fan favorite popular episode. A lot of a lot of Trek fans know you know know Dathan by sight. You know that's a great episode. It's a class. I mean, just classic stuff. And um, why not you know just jump and run with it? See you know explain all that stuff and uh, and get mm-hmm. into it. So um, you know just have fun with it. it. This is just one of those great opportunities. Like yeah, sure everyone's done a Klingon or everyone's done a Vulcan or whatever, but take some of these other species and like really add more texture and and, and flesh to them and, uh, and 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 come up with something cool. All right. Uh, and uh, one last thing, Jim. Uh, yeah. It's very clear that Badgie does not enjoy Tamarian uh, debates. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Check out that uh, that Badgie lesson. And uh, you know, one uh, one one little tidbit from the Tamarians just behind the scenes. Uh, there was a there was a point in the uh, development of the book where um, I, I was uh, working at working on it late late at night as I as I am wont to do, and I had one of those trademark really bad ideas in the middle of the night. <laughs> And, and I had this thought of writing this entire or, or wanting to have this entire species description of the Temerians written in the Temerian um, metaphor. Right. And just see what would happen or or to do it half in English and then half in Temerian, like like side by side, kind of like what you would see with like a like a Chaucer uh, Old English. You'd get the Old English on one side and the, and the regular English on the other side just to do a one for one. Uh, but uh, um, I slept on it and I woke up and I said, that's a stupid idea. Let's not no. do it. <laughs> you couldn't, no, actually, I think you could have done it if you made sure that it was all in Star Trek references. Oh, oh I could have done that. Damn it. Oh, well. <laughs> uh, missed opportunity, Michael. Uh, we'll have to save that for an article on uh, continuing uh, continuing mission. <laughs> okay. Maybe maybe someday when we get around to doing a book of uh, you know Star Trek poetry, Maybe we'll do a uh, an epic, uh, you know, a Temerian epic uh, ballad or something. It'll be well, all in Temerian. It will be all completely in Star Trek references. And uh, Scott will be leaning on you pretty heavily for that one because we'll need to pull as many esoteric references as we can out of the books, comic books, video games, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, and then and then we'll run a we'll run a contest to whoever can identify the most references. Uh, you know, get surprised. Although we'd have to figure out a way to encourage them not to use the internet because they could go, they could go to memory alpha, memory beta, everything else. They'd have to. They'd have to. I don't see how anyone yeah. can know all the references except well, Scott. Yeah. Except Scott. Scott. <laughs> his spreadsheet scrolling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So uh, that wraps up the, uh, the the newest species option. So we'll close out the chapter here by talking about tools and weapons. And uh, I think this was an opportunity to have some fun. Uh, partly yeah. There's just some great stuff in the in the first couple of seasons, and uh, um, Aaron, you really took this by the by the horns, as it were. And uh, why don't you tell? Or I guess you took it by uh, by Kalis's fornication helmet. The fornication I, helmet. I ran That's... with it. So uh, tell us all about what you wanted to do with. Yeah, this. There, you know this section. I I think I pushed it a little bit on references and and whatnot. But um, should I go over each one of the things that's in here? I mean, uh, sure, we have time. Okay, so car- I mean, maybe, car- maybe not going into too much de- detail, but at least mention everything so fans get a sense of what's okay. uh, what's in here. I have the Cardassian excruciator that's <laughs> listed in here that actually references the uh, Terran Empire's, you know, uh, pain pain booth and all that. That they actually use that as an idea to make their own kind of nerve stimulator. Uh, 
classified mission uniform. Okay. Cause we see those black, you know, special ops uniforms. Well, what does that do? Mm -hmm. Uh, what, what kind of benefits does it give you? And I thought, well, ideally, since everybody's eyes are different anyway, black is different for every species anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, but what it's really going to do is act as like an EVA suit that you can like pull up the hood and it'll, it'll, it'll seal over you. Uh, I did not know black was different. I didn't know black was different for different species. I really didn't. I thought basically if it's dark. Oh, okay. Yeah. If you see in a different, different spectrum, it might, it might suddenly appear as something else, right? Like, yeah, because black is always based off of a certain dye, right? Mm -hmm. So it depends on what that dye is based off of. My wife talks about this all the time. Is it a blue black? Is it a red black? What Mm -hmm. is it? So you might start seeing it differently. And especially if you see into the IR, it might be uh, you might see the person's body heat a little bit coming through it. So therefore that fabric's color doesn't really matter. Anyway, getting into the details, right? That's getting why I like Aaron. That's why like, he, he just spawned an entire module for me. Okay, cool. Um, the one, I just want to say real quick, the one regret, I, and this is so stupid, but uh, this is just how my brain works in the middle of the night. Um, when I was going through this, uh, looking at the layout, making sure that the layout was right. I was going through the, 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 uh, the loose pages that we got from the printer. Um, I, I reread the classified mission uniform and just this, this, this dumb idea hit me thinking, oh man, I wish we had thrown in a sentence about here, like somehow relating the fact that black is a slimming color and we could have put in some technological BS about, you know, the, <laughs> the, the, the black color creates a slimmer profile, which helps with, uh, you know, camouflage or subterfuge or, or you know, whatever. So just, and, you know, and it, and it has absolutely nothing to do with like the corsetry <laughs> that's underneath the suit. Right. right exactly. Absolutely not. No, no. <laughs> Uh, we have Kalos's fornication helmet, actually the rise and replica, because you know, on rise of the fornication helmet would be reproduced for tourists. <laughs> and, uh, again, like the, the, the advantage that it gives you when you have it better safe than sorry, use your imagination of why <laughs> you're better safe than sorry when using the fornication helmet. And I guess we, we also reference another lost artifact of the Klingon empire likely taken by the Herc in their retreat from Kronos, the cod piece of glory. Uh, we also go then on to the medical shotgun. The medical shotgun uh, was something that I kind of had a raised eyebrow about when I first saw it, but then I thought, no, wait a second, that, that makes sense. I can make that make sense. So it's about treating lots of people at range very, very quickly. Uh-huh. <laughs> hey, now we have the transporter gun, the yeah. transport phaser. So, hey, not too far off. Yeah. So, I mean, when you really need to aggressively treat people, medical shotgun, except no substitute. Uh, <laughs> the, <Tending> approved. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, and, you know, I love the fact that Tendi wore like a sa- safety, safety glasses during yes. that scene that just, you know, okay. Anyway, um, uh, we have the model 2380 Daystrom augmented tricorder. Uh that's the one with the purple stripes. That's really cool. That's often talked about in the show. Um, yeah, there you go. See it, the, the purple stripe. I think you're on mute, Jim, but uh, the, the purple stripe actually is due to reverse engineered Borg nanotechnology manufacturing techniques. I love um, it. I love it. <laughs> I love that uh, it's just a tricorder, but has an opportunity cost. Yeah, it has an opportunity, but you can <laughs> stick things to it. Mm-hmm. it. It can have things attached to the purple stripe. It love is it. useful. It is useful. 
Um, and we get to my the 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 most entertaining reference that I had the the Starfleet excursion helmet. Uh, this is actually it actually has a proper name and it's the Spatial Phenomenon Observation and Calibration Kit, mm-hmm. i.e., its abbreviation is the Spock helmet. Uh, so that is exactly the helmet that, that you can wear and it should actually have Spock written across it. Um, and it actually is useful because it, it combines the, uh, the technology of a tricorder and it brings it up into a, a heads up display and the flashing light on top is actually an emergency beacon in case you're stuck outside. All right. I just want to add the, uh, the excursion helmet, uh, in the, uh, in the draft that I sent to Paramount. We in fact had Spock in parentheses after the yeah. spatial phenomenon observation and calibration kit because that's what you do with acronyms. You you spell it out and then you put the acronym in parentheses after it or brackets or you know whatever your style is. Um, but they uh, they they asked me to nix the parentheses. They said I could keep the, uh, the I could keep the name in there, but I had to nix the parentheses. And I was like, okay, fans will get it. I'm, <laughs> I'm actually it out. I'm actually surprised that they they let me keep that. Yeah title the the actual name of it but that 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 brings joy to my heart yeah um the t88 yeah, scanning device so that's like the thing that diagnoses all engineering and and uh medical mm-hmm. problems uh but hey don't use it against thing with, with things that you don't understand because it'll just give you strange answers mm-hmm. i.e use at your own risk right um, and then, then we get into the the weapons and you know most of these things are are, are weapons that we have seen throughout the show um borg brain bomb crystal battle blade uh gelrekian crystal spear those are good uh the one that i thought needed to be included was a giant vulcan femur bone uh <laughs> because one one often has an opportunity to actually use giant vulcan femur bones uh-huh. uh the packlet axe which i hope jim appreciates and the packlet clump gun uh <laughs> and i i when i was Doing this, obviously, I was watching uh, Lower Decks, but I also had this image in my head from Fallout of the junk gun. It just, you can throw whatever into it, and it's just going to fire it at high speed. It doesn't matter what it is. So what can we do with an energy weapon that does that? And that's just, it, it literally just fires every kind of particle and radiation possible to the detriment of everyone around it. I mean, but, the clump, it makes so much sense because the clump ships are just different species mm-hmm. ships all fused together. I, I would love to see what a clump pistol looks like of just like, you know, a phaser attached to, you know, uh, a disruptor. A and oh, yeah. man, that's a plasma gun. Yeah. Love it. And then a rapier. And the reason why I wanted to put that one in there is because it's the weirdest of the TOS episodes. And I was surprised it wasn't in the core book. But mm-hmm. when you have Sulu shirtless. Uh, with a rapier, it needs to be included. So hopefully people will see fit to use it in their games. Um, I, I hope they don't see many opportunities to use a giant Vulcan femur bone. Because as the <laughs> description says is, first, where did you get this? <laughs> Second, why? And third, ew. <laughs> yeah, Great stuff. Great stuff. All right, so that is the, uh, that is the entirety of, uh, of Chapter 5, Lower Dex Campaign Guide. I hope you enjoy uh, this uh, this walkthrough. I hope you get an opportunity to pick up the book, go into more detail, reading about the species, reading about the equipment, just a lot of cool stuff here. Hopefully it gives you lots of ideas and things to do with your game and also to uh, you know some cool stuff to drop into your game, whether it's a supporting character, a player character, interesting NPCs, 
um, or just some cool stuff to equip them with, uh, like the, uh, you know, the, <laughs> the tricorder, like Aaron, I just can't get over that tricorder and the fact that you found, you found an explanation for why it has a purple stripe other than it just being cosmetic. I just, I love mm-hmm. it. And, uh, that is the power of Star Trek. It reminds me of something, uh, Rick Sternbach told me way back in like 2017 when we were working on the game. And I had, I had a question about something. Uh, oh, we, we were, uh, one of the writers had asked, can, uh, can uh, can shuttles work underwater? And and he was like, mm-hmm. well, they work in space. Why wouldn't they work underwater? Because uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's a sealed environment, right? And mm-hmm. he said, you got to think, you got to think futuristic. And uh, I was like, yeah, oh yeah, it's Star Trek, and it's the it's the far future. So uh, I try to apply that every time I'm writing. I try to encourage my writers to think about that every time. And boy, <laughs> the 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 uh, purple stripe being, having the the whole indigo and blue wavelengths of light and all that stuff reflected to it. Related to it, it's just like that's that's Star Trek, uh, that's that's Federation right there. So I've been waiting to ask this question to Scott, who has the uh, I don't it, it, it's an honorable, but sometimes given the craziness of this book, pitiable task of editing all of this craziness. What do you think when you're reading through all these ideas? I mean, I know you, again, you're you're the huge editor for most of the STA stuff, um, but Lower Decks was a different creature. Talk to us about that. <laughs> well. Uh, in in many ways, the the book wasn't that different a creature. I mean, you've got the you know the humor element of lower decks, uh, but you're still just giving a lot of uh, data about starships, technology, characters. So it wasn't really that different from other jobs, uh, except you know that you can be a little bit looser with how you approach something. Um, you know, if something feels like it's going a bit beyond, you know, you, you can just, you can get away with more, <laughs> you know? So uh, I can't think of any specific examples, um, you know, but obviously uh, there's a ton of stuff in Lower Decks that if this were in any other source book, I'd be saying, well, what? No, mm-hmm. you can't say that. Right. Mm-hmm. but lower decks gives you the permission to uh yeah. just be a goofball with things so right yeah yeah so absolutely. all right cool. michael i think that covers it for this episode so why don't we jump into uh, gratitude why don't you kick us off there sounds good well i wanted to do um a, a little difference on gratitude i know we do brick and mortar normally but i actually sent this out into the social media universe and i asked what people love most about STA. So many fans out there, give them a chance to express themselves. So I got a nice list here. Um, Today, I'm going to have it come from Jim Ward, where he says the game is great, but the living support system, including continuing new publications and supplements is far beyond any other game system I've seen. Add in the ability to contact and give input and feedback to the people making the game, just far beyond expectations. Kudos to everyone involved. So there you go. Piece of gratitude from Jim Ward. Thank you for shouting that out to us. All right, let's pass it on to, let's go over to Aaron. Well, I guess I'll I'll talk about like what I'm, what STA means to me. It's I get to for the time that I'm spending writing or the time that I spend in our game, Michael, I get to to be in the universe a little bit and think about it. And it's my favorite, you know, it's my favorite franchise. It's my favorite universe to think about because of the hope, you know, the, the advancement of humanity into the future, all that. I'm just always happy to be there just for the little bit. And then 
try to pass that kind of enjoyment and, and happiness along to others. Mm-hmm. Love hearing that. How about you, Al? Uh, I want to give thanks uh, to Modifius uh, in general for starting up the World Builders program this week. They just did a live seminar. Um, you know, uh, we had uh, over 50 people uh, in there uh, and they were giving us tips and tricks and pointers on how to make awesome content and how to become um, game designers ourselves. And, you know, to see a company supporting uh their 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 aspiring writers in such a way is beyond expectations um so i want to thank modifius for that and also everyone that jumped in uh to the seminar and participated it was really awesome yeah it's been wonderful seeing all the stuff getting produced good scott i just i just love that it it uh creates a new way for fans to be a part of this franchise that we all love so much uh, because you do get the, uh, the interactive nature. Um, you know, and it's one thing for fans to sit around and talk about their favorite episode or whatever, but to give them this framework for essentially creating their own episodes, their own adventures. Uh, it's a great thing to be a part of. Totally. Totally. All right, Jim, take us out. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I say it every episode and I know I don't say it often enough and, uh, um, I'm grateful to all the fans like the, like the stuff that Jim just said, the Jim Ward uh, that you were, that you read just a few moments ago, it really means a lot to me because, uh, I, I, I mean, I've told you all before I've lived in such a Star Trek bubble the last seven and a half, eight years now working on this game. That's all I work on in terms of like games. Like I don't, I, I don't have time to play other RPGs. Like I'll, I'll read them or I'll glance at them just to see what's going on in the, the greater you know rpg metasphere or whatever but i mean other than uh, sentience and a couple of little one-offs here and there i don't i just don't have time to play and um it always surprises me when fans say oh you know you're you know the star trek adventures team like it's nathan and me and, and all you guys that are on social media there aren't that many other games that do that and i'm like why what <laughs> what i mean how i mean how's that possible because like oh dependent on the fans to go anywhere like i'm surprised there aren't more creators and more more team people out there talking on social media i mean sure there's got to be them out there somewhere but um i haven't had time to look for them so i just rely on the fans to tell me that and uh, it just surprises me that uh we seem to be an outlier um i mean certainly in terms of the production i mean we're we've been firing on full thrusters for years now and it's not stopping and uh i you know i don't know i don't know if it's me but it's all you too because you're all are so prolific and uh and you all write so fast and, and competently or you know or even beyond competently that it's easy for me to just keep this machine going and keep churning new stuff out and, and moving i'm not churn in a bad sense but just like you know keeping the machine running here and uh i think uh to be honest i think fans probably don't always realize just how much star trek adventure stuff is out there because i know a lot of them aren't really focused on the digital releases and we have a ton of digital releases, like whether it's the free mission briefs or the standalone adventures or what or the or the crew packs and stuff, right? We've got way more digital releases than we do print releases. And even then, we've got like 24 or 25 print releases. So we've been banging this stuff out three or four a year. And um I, I'm sure there's gotta be other game lines out there, other companies that are as prolific, but I just don't know because I'm not I, I don't have a game store near me to go to and shop that doesn't sell just miniatures and uh model kits right like there aren't that many i mean at least in my area i don't have many 
game stores that really cater specifically to RPGs. RPGs are usually like lumped in one little section and then everything else is, um, you know, magic and Warhammer and paint and, uh, and tables to, to put war game miniatures out, which is fine. Uh, I just, I just wish there was more, uh, I just wish there was more print RPGs out there in sufficient quantities that it could fill a room beyond uh you know just one little one little bookshelf or one little section or something and al i saw your uh your your eyebrow twitch i know you have a fantastic store and you've posted pictures of your shelf of your shelves and i'm I, I love that and i know scott when we get when i get to minnesota we go to that game store near you i don't remember the name of it uh, if you can plug it uh let me know what, what, what was the name of it the source Comics. the source yeah um because they've got i mean that's a fantastic store and they've got like everything in that store um, so grateful for them, uh, for being right there on the front lines with the, with the customers. Anyway, I've rambled enough. Uh, look, uh, thank you to the fans. Like without the fans, we wouldn't be doing this and we couldn't be doing this after seven years. We're going to keep doing it until we can't do it anymore. Uh, so thank you to the fans. And then also thanks to Paramount. Thanks to Paramount, to Mike McMahon, uh, for giving us the lower decks license, for trusting us with it. And then, uh, for Letty's, I, I don't even want to say we got away with it because they had to approve everything anyway. Uh, so we we threw all this at them and they they had some notes, right? This was the, probably the one, I think I've mentioned, this is the one book that we got the most significant notes on over, you know, seven and a half years, but it was all good notes because it was, it was all about dialing in that tone, that lower decks tone, where in some cases we went too far, in some cases we didn't go far enough. And so we just had to dial it in a little bit, but we got it done. And uh, I hope, I hope you all fans, I hope you check it out. I hope you love it and uh, um, just look forward to more. So I'll stop there. I could go on. <laughs> and we will go on because this is the continuing conversation. All right. Come back for more Lower Decks goodness, everyone. Thank you for everyone uh, showing up today to talk about uh, Chapter 5. Until next time, IDIC. Live long and prosper. Be safe. Be well. We'll see you all next time. Bye.